From interviews and investing to careers and credit, we've got you covered. WalletWatch is a podcast brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. We'll be interviewing industry experts, sharing personal stories, and even playing some fun games, delivering financial topics in an enjoyable and interesting way. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica. And I'm Amanda. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back, Wallet Watch listeners. You are in the studio with your hosts, Amanda and Jessica, and we are so glad you're here. I'm really excited for the episode today. We are in season nine, and I think a really important component of having that strong financial foundation is also protecting that. You're going to do a lot of work building that financial foundation, building your credit, creating those spending plans, but Another really important aspect of that is protecting yourself from fraud and identity theft. I could not agree more, Amanda, because one statistic that I want to share before we hop into the episode is that over 50% of all identity theft victims personally know their thief. To me, that speaks volumes as to why our roles as financial educators are so important to go out in the community and educate individuals about fraud and identity theft and how to protect themselves. Yes. And I want to talk about who is most affected by fraud and identity theft before we get into that prevention side. Youth is a huge group that they are targeted, especially because their social security number isn't being used for credit applications. So they can try and get that and use it and it's not being monitored. College students are also another higher risk because often some college students haven't established that credit either. High earners. So if you're someone who earns a lot of money and maybe it's even known that you earn a lot of money, you're going to be at a higher risk for being targeted because there's more money to try and take. And then also the elderly generation as well. And it again kind of ties back to credit, right? If you're older in your life, maybe you're at that place where most of your credit is paid off. You're not looking to open any new accounts. So then again, they're going to try and obtain that social security number that's not being used as frequently as maybe the rest of us that are in the middle of our financial journeys. I love that you took the time to touch on that because I think it's important So this episode today really can be heard by individuals of all ages because it sounds like we all kind of fall into those categories of being at risk. Yeah, it's going to be a really great episode with a lot of really great information. So please share this episode with your friends and family. Help them protect their financial foundation. Let's start by defining the difference between what is considered fraud and what is considered identity theft. Fraud is going to be a form of deception when someone is trying to get some type of financial gain or financial profit unfairly or dishonestly. And Amanda, do you want to go ahead and define identity theft for our listeners? Yes. So identity theft is more aligned with a fraudster trying to steal your personal information to try and pretend to be you 
to maybe open up accounts in your name. So again, it can be tied to money, but it also could be a form of identity theft would be stealing your information to even just open an account with like a utility company or a cell phone company, not necessarily always credit card or loans. And I'd like to jump right into some common fraud that we're seeing these days. And one of the biggest ones I see is someone trying to take your account over. Oh, definitely. There's this thing called credential stuffing where fraudsters are able to apprehend passwords and usernames on your subscription type of accounts. And then they'll run all of those stolen usernames and passwords through a system and try and see if you're using those same username and passwords with more lucrative accounts, maybe your financial institutions or maybe even accounts uh, tied to your health to try and obtain even more information to either get money or steal your identity. And I think a great way to protect yourself from that is just when you are creating usernames and passwords, not utilizing the same username or the same email and the same password for every single login. One thing that we do talk to people about for prevention in the community for that is maybe making a Word document or an Excel document that is password protected and that's where you can put all of your usernames and passwords in. So then you only have to remember that one password and then you have access to all those usernames and passwords. And I do tell people I do that for myself. We have so many logins and usernames and passwords for work stuff and personal life. It's almost impossible to try to keep all of those straight. So that is one big way that you can protect yourself. Other really common scams and fraud that is happening would be phishing, vishing, and smishing. Phishing is when you receive an email from a person or a company. It looks legitimate. There may be some little red flags you can search for, but they're trying to have you click on a link or open some kind of attachment to either install malware onto your computer, your devices, or to have you input your personal information. So some of those red flags to look out for is what's the email address it's coming from? Does it look legitimate? Is everything spelled correctly? There might be other spelling errors throughout the email. Also looking, a lot of email companies now will have the logo of the company and think, okay, companies rebrand often. Is that logo their most updated one? Is that a logo from maybe years and years ago? Also looking if there's any kind of time urgency. They're trying to pressure you into opening the link or the attachment. Maybe you won something and you have certain amount of hours to accept your prize. So that's phishing. Jess, do you want to talk about vishing? Yeah. So vishing is going to be very similar to phishing, but it's going to be when a fraudster tries to obtain your personal information over the phone. So they're calling you, they're requesting that information. You know, one thing that I like to point out is financial institutions, the government, those type of entities are not going to call you then going to ask you to give a bunch of your identifying information away. If you do receive a phone call and someone is requesting some of that sensitive or personal information, like account numbers, social security numbers, stuff like that, you do have the authority to say, unfortunately, I'm going to end this phone call and I'm going to contact my financial institution or I'm going to contact that entity to truly check the validity of the call. And if the person you're speaking with gets frustrated or upset, 
nine times out of 10, that's probably a fraud call. Do you want to talk about smishing? Yeah. So smishing, kind of the last one of these three ishings is text message fraud. So it's really common right now to receive text messages and most of these will have a link in them to click on. And some common ones that people are receiving are like your account, there's an issue with it, we're locking it, we're freezing it, click on this link to fix it and go through that process to strengthen that. And again with these, I would say if you're not sure if it's real or not, a lot of the types of accounts that are being mimicked in these smishing text messages, don't answer with the text message, don't click on the link at all, but then go to the website or if you have an app for that account already on your phone, log in that way, make sure everything looks correct and then contact someone through that contact information there to see if it is legitimate or not. Jess, what are some other scams and fraud that you've heard about? That's a pretty loaded question, Amanda. I feel like fraud and identity theft is one of my favorite topics to talk about in the community because it's forever evolving and forever changing. But one of the big scams that we talk about in the community is mail scams. So there's a couple of different components with that. The first one that I like to talk about is dumpster diving. There are fraudsters that like to go through people's trash or go through people's recycling in hopes that they can collect enough little pieces of information to try to steal someone's identity. One way to protect yourself from that is just making sure that you're taking care of it in a secured location. You're not just saying, oh, this is junk mail and throwing it in the trash. Yeah, I think what you said about destroying that is really important, but you can also look at, hey, do I need to get this delivered in the mail? Can I sign up for like an email alert on some of these types of things to cut back on sensitive information that's actually coming into your your home and your mailbox? For sure. And I do think one really cool thing that I signed up for within the last couple of years is the United States Postal Service has a service called Informed Delivery. So you can go to their website, you can sign up for this informed delivery, and I actually get an email every single morning of all the mail that is coming to my house that day. So that has been a really big one that I think people enjoy that protection, that extra layer of security. Yeah, I love that from um, the Postal Service, but I also love how financial institutions are giving you alerts, like say your debit card, your credit card's um, going to be expired. I will see like an alert in my app on my phone, like, hey, your card's expired, we're sending you one. Here's how you can activate when you get it, but then you know it's coming. So if you never receive that new card in the mail, you can be like, hmm, I never got that. Maybe it was stolen. And then you can just cancel that new card and get a new one. Yes. Another big one that we talk about a lot is card skimmers. But a card skimming device is a device that can be implanted on any type of electronic device. And what a skimming device does is if you were to go use that device, not realize that there was a skimming device attached to it, a fraudster could be nearby trying to steal people's debit card numbers. Some cool things that have been put into place to kind of stop that is we now have tap to pay. If your card is able to tap to pay, we always recommend doing that. 
because it's more of an electronic transaction. You're not swiping your card. You're not inserting your card, but also the EMV chips that were placed into debit cards. Those store different electronic tokens and stuff and make it harder for fraudsters to try to steal card numbers and your personal information. Yeah, the EMV chips is incredible. And I have some statistics about how they've helped with fraud. So in 2021, around 88% of merchants had switched to a new point of sale system to be able to accept the chip cards compared to only 67% accepting them in 2020. And prior to those cards, counterfeit card fraud fell under 70% of all of the fraud that was happening. So because those have changed and we're using those chip cards to insert, the amount of fraud happening on cards has decreased a lot. However, you can't put a chip card into a system when you're paying online. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So that's where we can talk about when we're doing our online shopping, some things to look out for, some fraud that's happening there because there's definitely ways that fraudsters are getting your card information if you're buying things online. And I've seen a lot of maybe products being advertised on social media that aren't actually legitimate. So if you're ever thinking about clicking on one of those posts on social media, maybe do a quick Google search on that company or that website that you're buying it from. See if there's any reviews on the products. Are people getting those things that they're paying for? Are they having fraud on their card after they try and purchase those things? And then any online shopping, making sure that you are on a secured Wi-Fi before you type in your card information and then making sure that there's the little lock in the URL box or there's that HTTPS, knowing that that website's secured. Yes, I had a very good teachable moment with my 14 year old about this topic because he has a phone, he was shopping online and he's like, mom, look at this deal that I found. And you know, he comes and shows me the website and I was able to point out like, it was an unsecured website. There was no HTTPS at the beginning of it. And then I Googled on my phone, is this website a legitimate website? And sure enough, it was not. And so it was a really good teachable moment for him to realize that like, just because it's on the phone or just because we can Google it or we can pull it up, doesn't make it a legitimate website. I think the next area that fraud happens or fraudsters are able to obtain more information about individuals they're trying to scam is social media platforms. I could not agree more. 100%. I feel like that is one of the top places where scams happen. Let's play a game called to post or not to post. Okay, I'm, I'm here for it. Okay, number one, here's a scenario. You just bought a brand new vehicle. You're so excited about it. You're gonna take a picture at the dealership. Post or not to post? Do not post. Why not? Because snapping that photo at the dealership of your brand new car, sometimes if you were calling your financial institution, they may ask you some security questions in regards to where did you purchase the vehicle? What's the make and model of the vehicle? What color is the vehicle? And those could be potential security questions that a financial institution may ask you when you're calling in. Okay, let me think of the next one here. 
you are on vacation and you want to share some really beautiful sceneries that you're seeing on your vacation on your social media, do you post or not post? I'm not going to post until I return back home because if I post while I'm on vacation, people are going to know, A, I'm away from my house, and B, if I upload those photos, there is the potential that they could be geotagged. And I want to take one quick second to kind of talk about geotagging. So geotagging is going to be the process of when you post a photo and it automatically tags your geographical information. So if I were on vacation, let's say on a beach down in the Bahamas, and I go to snap that photo and I go to post it on my social media, it's automatically gonna detect that I am down in the Bahamas. There is a way to turn that off in your settings, but I think it's very important for people to know that some of those type of things should not be done until you return back home just to kind of keep yourself safe. Yeah, definitely, because then if a fraudster is maybe trying to figure out a good time to steal some mail out of your mailbox and they can see that on your social media you're not even in town, they'll know that it's a really good opportunity for them to do that. Next one, you have an uncle that you're friends with on social media because you don't live in the same state and they posted one of those quizzes where there's questions about what your favorite drink is, what was your mascot, what road did you grow up on when you um, were younger? You know, kind of these little fun things that you can get to know a little bit more about someone. Do you fill it out and post it or not? This one's kind of a, a tricky question because some of those social media quizzes can be absolutely harmless. But what I think people forget is when we are filling out these get to know you quizzes, think about when you are setting up an account for the very first time and they ask you security questions. What type of security questions are they asking you? What phone number do you remember from your childhood? What street did you grow up on? What was your first maker model of your car? What was your high school mascot? And a lot of that stuff when we're filling it out and posting it on our social media seems fun. But again, a lot of those, I'm gonna say don't post. A lot of those are potential answers to security questions for some of those more secure accounts that we have. Yeah, so then if you don't have the security settings on your social media and your email is listed, they could assume your email's your username, hit that forgot password, and then have answers to those questions to retrieve that password. For sure. I have one for you. Okay. So to post or not to post. You buy a brand new house. Everybody gets excited about posting the photo in front of their house with the sold sign. Do you post or not post? No, I don't want people on the internet knowing where I live. <laughs> you know, I have a quick example of that. I had a friend who bought a house. They posted all these pictures of their new house, the cute little photo standing out front with their address and everything. And literally it had the entire address in it. And I called and I said, hey, you might want to take some of these photos down. Your house looks amazing, but Everybody can see all the access points of your house, all the windows, all the new expensive things that you just decorated your house with. And so it's 
sad that we have to be very mindful before we post stuff about that, but it also in the same breath is really for our protection. Yeah. And I think a good rule of thumb too is, you know, social media is worldwide and just going in and reviewing your privacy settings often because sometimes those update and then they might get changed with those updates. So go in and make sure that you know who is actually able to see the things that you're posting and you're sharing and update those regularly so that you know what your comfort level is with that. And then kind of the rule of thumb with any of the fraud prevention is doesn't make sense. Stop and think before you commit or click on anything or share anything. What potential harm could this create? And one last thing I'd like to share with our listeners today is if you ever found yourself in a situation where you think you could have been exposed to fraud, the first thing we want you to do is to call your financial institution. Once you contact your financial institution, they are going to be able to walk you through the process if you are a potential victim of fraud or identity theft, and they're really going to help you through the entire process. Yeah, so this past year, I actually had an incident where my HR reached out to me and said, hey, someone's trying to apply for unemployment in your name. And being a financial educator, I was like, okay, I know exactly what to do. And I was really surprised at how smoothly the steps went. I know someone wasn't able to fully try and steal my identity. It was stopped and flagged before it happened. So having those things in place made the process really easy. The other thing that I suggest for everyone, get in the habit of checking your credit reports regularly. You can go to annualcreditreport.com. You can pull your credit report from all three of the credit bureaus. Look at the information on there. Look at your name on there. Look at the addresses they have listed. If there's one on there that doesn't belong to you, you've never lived at, that could be a red flag. Someone's sending mail to some other address using your name. Make sure all the credit lines that are open belong to you. And then check the inquiry section. So the inquiry section is the section on the credit report where any new applications for loans or credit cards, it's going to show when those were applied for. They'll stay on there for two years. If there's any applications for credit cards that you never opened, that can be a red flag. Someone's trying to steal your identity and use your information to open those credits. So a final resource I want to provide our listeners with today, fraud is ever-changing. They're always trying to scam us and steal our money in different ways. And there's a, a website that not only can you report any scams that you've encountered, but you can also sign up to receive emails from them with what's the latest trends and what are the latest scams that are happening. And that is through the Federal Trade Commission. So FTC.gov, you can go on there, report a complaint of fraud, or you can sign up to get a subscription to your email of what's happening. Well, Amanda, this has been a great conversation. To our listeners that have tuned in today, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. And now it's time for the CU Spotlight.
If you enjoy listening to Wallet Watch, you might also enjoy taking advantage of our other financial education opportunities. The seminar series hosted by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union is another chance to learn more about financial literacy. The seminar series consists of in-person and virtual sessions that cover topics such as financial planning, preparing to buy a home, understanding financial aid, taxes, and more. For more information on upcoming events, visit msufcu.org forward slash events or view recorded webinars from the seminar series playlist on the MSU FCU YouTube channel. Wallet Watch is written, hosted, and produced by Amanda Khan and me, Jessica Rubio. Our executive producers are Ariana Saldana and Susie Elkins. Wallet Watch is brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our credit union's website, financial40.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in our next episode.